So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you, and we are honored to be here in this house, to be able to assemble with believers in like faith. We are thankful and grateful that you have insight, revelation, knowledge for us today. I ask, Father, that you give us ears to hear and give me a mouth to speak what you would like to say. I bind right now every demonic force that would hinder our receiving in this house today and thank you that Jesus is Lord over word of victory and we believe and we receive the will of heaven in this house today. And we thank you and we praise you, Father, for the outpouring of the glory and the manifestation of your love in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So if you will today, go with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And it says, Beloved, that's you and me. We're beloved. Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're just going to park and camp a little bit on that last phrase there of verse 8. God is love. God is love. You know, a lot of people have accused God of a lot of things, but the truth is God is love. God is not vindictive. God is love. Okay, God is love. Now, we've been talking for weeks now about how your life is the rim of the wheel and we have the spokes, which are all the matters of our life, and that God is the core. And as we plug the spokes into the core, we receive the will of God. Last week, we specifically talked about how we receive the will of the Father. We receive the will of the Father. We have a Father who is God. We have a heavenly Father that is God. So we could say then that our heavenly Father is love. Our heavenly Father is love. Now, many times what happens is we compare earthly Father to heavenly Father, and that doesn't work. We have to understand that we have to take things of earth and lift them to the standard of heaven, not take the standards of the earth and make heaven conform to it. We lift earth to heaven. We don't bring heaven to earth as far as what heaven is like. Heaven is better than earth. Do I have any agreement in the house? Heaven is better than the earth. You know, we don't even realize how corrupt and dark this earth is until you get to heaven. Green is greener in heaven. Red is redder in heaven. Light is brighter in heaven. All things are better in heaven. But we've looked at the last two couple of weeks how God wants heaven's will, the will of heaven into your life here in the earth. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. He said, pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are praying to a Father that we want the will of heaven, his will, to be done in the earth. 
Okay, so now the word love here is kind of a difficult word to define because it's so vast and it's not a normal thing that we experience in the earth. This love is so enormous, it's hard to define it. It's hard to put it in our English vernacular. But so what I did is I took a bunch of definitions of what this agape is the Greek word love, is to try and define and put it out to us today what this love is because this is our father. This is our father. So the agape love is undefeatable benevolence, meaning he has within him a compassion and a drive to do something for you that is undefeatable. It's unconquerable goodwill. Unconquerable goodwill. I have goodwill, and if I have a bad hair day, it's conquered. Do you understand what I mean? We have other things in our life that conquers our goodwill. All right? You're looking at me now thinking, you're having a bad one today. How's your goodwill? No, kidding. Anyway, unconquerable goodwill. Meaning goodwill is unconquerable. Nothing can conquer God's goodwill toward people. Hallelujah. That always seeks the highest good and pleasure of the other. God is always seeking our highest good and pleasure. He's always looking for it. He's always looking for a way to give you goodness and to give you pleasure in your life. The Father, Heavenly Father, God is looking for a way to give you goodness and give you pleasure. Wow. All right. But this is the part where it gets really good because you can say, yeah, that's the way I am with my kids. But the rest of the definition helps us understand it. No matter what the recipient has done. No matter what the recipient has done, meaning God's good will and pleasure to you cannot be altered by your behavior. God's earnestness to do good to you is not stopped by your behavior. It's a self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return. There's no strings attached. There's nothing like, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. So that causes us to understand that this love God has for us is not based on our performance. And when we use our performance to get God to do something, we're not the recipient of a gift. We are a manipulator of blessing because God wants to give you all that is good without strings attached, irregardless of our behavior. Now, that is hard for us to understand because we live life in the earthly realm on a reward system. And we bring that reward system into our walk in God because most people know better the old covenant stories better than new covenant realities. And old covenant uh, stories are based on performance. You do right, you get this. You do wrong, you get that. And we have to be able to wash that all away to truly understand who our father is. 
This is a father that has no strings attached and all he wants to do and give to us. Zero strings attached. And, you know, we might have been raised in a situation where I had to earn all the benefits I got in life. I have to earn all the blessings I got in life. But that's not the way our Heavenly Father is. You can't do anything to cause Him to love you more. God so loved the world. The world is not honoring God. The church honors God. The world are the people without God. And He so loves that He sends a son that they can escape. Okay? God's love is so much more vast, so much deeper, and so much more in our life than we can ever imagine. And we get in the, the mentality of how do I get that? How do I make that happen? How do I get God to love me? Like, how do I get my spouse to love me? How do I get my kids to love me? How do I get so-and-so to love me? How do I get this to love me? How do I get that to love me? That's not the way God's love is. You can't do anything to get them to love you. And, you know, isn't it interesting that probably 98% of the quest that people are on is to be loved? Somebody to love me, to care for me, you know, to not misunderstand me, to not find me at fault always, to not find me in a problem. God's love is that love that everyone is looking for. Amen. Wasn't it great to love somebody that's got mercy for you and just washes it away? Praise the Lord. All right. I better get back to this definition, right? If you lost it, an undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good and pleasure of the other, no matter what the recipient has done. It's a self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return and does not consider the worth of the recipient. It is a love by commitment and choice. A love by commitment and choice. God never walks away from loving us. We walk away from allowing him to love us. He doesn't walk away. We walk away. Amen. So we see this kind of love. Now I need to go, let's go back up just a little stitch. A stitch. First John chapter three, verse one, it says this, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. The father has gifted us. That's what the word bestowed is to give freely. The Father has given you freely. He wants to give you freely this kind of love that doesn't measure you, doesn't mark you, and doesn't calculate you. He just wants to love you. Hallelujah. But he says this is what an understanding we need to know about this kind of love that was given to us. In giving us this love, he calls us the children of God. Now, it's interesting that this word call means to name. God has named you a child of God. He's named you a child of God. That's your name, child of God. You're named a child of God. Now, you can call me Trudy, 
but I know my name is really child of God. Amen? A child of God. Now, the, a child is something by fact of birth. And to be a child of God, then, we just have to be born again, rebirthed into the kingdom of God. All right? But then he says that if we're children, think about this, if you have a child, there's also a father. So God is our father. We are his children. Those are relationship terms, aren't they? Father, child. Now, we go back to what we talked about last week, that a father is a nourisher, a protector, one that brings into being, but one also that has the ability to pass on likeness through connection and relationship. So what we're seeing here is our heavenly father, that is love, wants to pass on to us likeness and um, through a connection or a relationship we have with him. So what he's saying is, I'm love. I love you unconditionally. And if you spend time with me, you also will be a partaker of that kind of love. Hallelujah. So these terms, father and children, are relational terms. And let's just clarify this. One is an elder and the other is a learner. One is one that carries wisdom and experience. The other needs to be taught. One is a parent and the other needs parental guidance. And in case you're not clear on this, God is the one that's the elder with the wisdom and the parent, okay? And we as his children are the learners that need to be taught and have parental guidance. Are we all clear on that? Okay, just want to make sure. But because of his great love for us, he calls us as children. He doesn't call us servants or slaves. He calls us children, meaning this, you now are a partaker of his DNA. We know that we were born of his incorruptible seed. We are a partaker because we have a heavenly father, not just God, a father, a father that wants to connect with us, a father that wants to pass on to us likeness, a father that wants to give to us without finding fault in us, a father that wants to give us benevolent goodwill, a father that is so earnest and zealous to give us good things like he has in heaven. That's who we've got. We've got a father. And he is committed to your best life. Our heavenly father is committed to giving you pleasures of life. He is committed to giving you goodness in life. Our heavenly father is committed to you to make your life the very best possible it could be. Amen? That interesting thing about it is sometimes... We think in terms of fatherhood, we think of earthly fathers. And I just want to say this, an earthly father's job or duty or call is to establish their children to be independent from them. We, as, as dads in the earth, we have to grow up our kids to not need us. I'm not a dad. Okay, I had one, all right? I am married to one. And the job of a dad is to grow your children up that they don't need you. Why? Because someday you won't be here, right? But the, the, the uh, ambition, let me say it that way, of the heavenly father 
is to get his children more and more dependent on him. And the reason the earthly father's job is to make his children independent because what he's supposed to be doing is giving his children the ability and the way and the training to become more and more dependent on a heavenly father and less on an earthly father. You're growing your children to be dependent on a heavenly father that is love. And in doing that, there's going to be um, times where you're going to have to do things to cause them to be less dependent on you. Hallelujah. And for the rest of that story, spend time with Jesus. Amen. All right. But God, our Father, is never looking for us to be independent from him. God is never looking for you to be independent. God never looks at you and says, you can just handle that. Or just take care of that yourself. Our Heavenly Father is never doing that. See, our Heavenly Father is counting on the fact that we become more and more dependent on Him. Hallelujah. He is never abandoning us. So let's look over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And I just want to read one scripture there, verse 32. And it says, Do not fear or fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father's plan to give you everything in heaven's kingdom. He wants to. It gives him pleasure to give you the will of heaven in the earth. God is eager and excited to do that for you. In case you didn't know the little flock part, that's us. Okay, that's us. And he's earnest and desirous to give you the kingdom of God. Everything that heaven has and holds for you. He said, don't be afraid. I want to give you this. God wants to bless you. God eagerly wants to bless you. And the enemy has corrupted it in our life by making us think we have to qualify. God says, I'm eager to do this for you. I'm eager to give you this. I want to. So he wants to give us the kingdom. So let's look back and see what this passage of scripture was in context. And we're going to start reading at verse 22, but we're going to read out of the Passion Translation. So it says this in verse 22 of Luke 12, out of the Passion. Jesus taught his disciples saying, listen to me. We're talking about a father. We're talking about a father. Listen to me. Never let anxiety enter your hearts. Never worry about any of your needs, such as food or clothing. See, because anxiety and worry, what they are is fear. Fear, right? Jesus taught his disciples saying, whoops, back up. Jesus taught his, I would read it myself. Okay, is this the right one? For your life is infinitely more than just food or the clothing you wear. Next one. Are we froze? Take the carefree birds as your example. Do you ever see them worry? They don't grow their own food or put it in a storehouse for later. Yet God takes care of every one of them, feeding each of them from his love and goodness. Isn't your life more precious to God than a bird? The answer to that is yes. 
Be carefree in the care of God. Does worry add anything to your life? The answer to that is no. Can it add one more year or even one day? The answer is no. So if worrying adds nothing but actually subtracts from your life, why would you worry about God's care of you? We're talking about a father, aren't we? Think about the lilies. In case you didn't know, those are flowers, okay? That's not people. Maybe your name is Lily, but that's not what it's talking about here. They grow and become beautiful, not because they work hard or strive to clothe themselves, yet not even Solomon, wearing his kingly garments of splendor, could be compared to a field of lilies. If God can clothe the fields and meadows with grass and flowers, can he clothe you as well? Oh, struggling one with so many doubts. I repeat it. Don't let worry enter your life. Live above the anxious care about your personal needs. People everywhere seem to worry about making a living, but your heavenly father knows your every need and will take care of you. Each and every day, he will supply your needs as you seek his kingdom passionately above all else. The moral of the story is don't worry. Don't worry. Don't have fear. Don't have anxiety about these things. So I have my little collection here today, you know, because that's just what I do, right? Hallelujah. So he said not to worry. And he was specifically when he said, it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's talking about natural everyday things. He's talking about giving you the kingdom of God in natural everyday things, clothing, food. We don't have to be worried about that because the kingdom has an answer for that. So we could say, well, I'm concerned about my clothing. I'm concerned about my food. Pastor Jerry would be concerned about these because they're... They are a French onion flavor, and he hates those. Praise the Lord. All right. Don't be concerned about your food. Don't be concerned about your drink. Hallelujah. Don't be concerned about your health, healing. Can I get it? Can I not? Don't be concerned about that. Don't be concerned about your family. Hallelujah. Don't be concerned about all of these things are things and that the enemy uses as tactics to get us to get anxious. When we've got a father that is earnest about giving us the kingdom, he's love. He wants to give us the kingdom. Don't be concerned about your future, how you look, how people think about you. Am I loved? Am I not loved in this natural realm? It's irrelevant. The father is love and wants to give you the kingdom even if you're the only, amen? Some people get concerned about their spiritual life. Am I behind? Am I ahead? Where am I at? I better listen to this, better do this, better do that, better do this, better do that. All of these things become cares, anxieties. Am I gonna be able to provide for my family? What's gonna happen with this? What's gonna happen with that? What's gonna happen with this? What's gonna happen with that? And all these anxieties are fears of what's going on in this natural realm. But what he says, he says to us, he says, don't fear. It's my good pleasure 
to give you every matter that you're going to encounter in life. It's my good pleasure to handle all of it. But he says this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added to you. So we've got all these cares. So what we need to do, get rid of those. And we'll, instead, this is what I'm going to look at. This is what I'm going to look at because it here, it gives me an answer for everything down here. Now, I know there are matters of life here. I am not, I am not ignoring them. They all have a voice. Your money has a voice and it says not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. Your body has a voice. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. You know, your kids have a voice and say, mom, 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 mom. Everything has a voice in here, right? But what I'm doing is I am covering that up and getting the voice of the word of the father. So I know it's there, but I choose to hear this voice that says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's too good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I choose to listen to this voice that says, do not worry or have anxiety about anything. See, this voice is drowned out by this voice. And all of these matters of life then have to succumb to this voice. And the father is earnest about giving me everything that's concerning me here. So if I hear his voice, if I hear what he's saying, it will drown out these voices. But then what it also does is gives love an opportunity to love me. It gives love an opportunity to love me, the love of a father to love me. And he says to us, I'll take care of that. Let me take care of that. Let me tend to that. Let me do that. Hallelujah. Because that's his drive and desire. He wants to take care of it. And how we conquer all this stuff that's got a voice and screaming for attention is we just then take time to hear the voice of the Lord that's louder than all that. Why? Because it's the Father's pleasure to do that for us. And concerning all these things, it said it can't add anything to our life. It doesn't add anything to our life. You know, it's interesting that part of our character in life is determined by how we deal with pressure. Part of the character in our life is determined by how we deal with pressure. So how do we deal with pressure? Well, some people, when there's, the pressure is on, they isolate and draw back. Some people, when there's pressure on, turn to food, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever, okay? Because the pressure's on. Some people turn to shopping. No, look at all the men looking at their wives. Stop that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some people turn to grief and depression. You know, there's all different kinds of anxiety repair kits. But the truth of the matter is, God doesn't even want you to have an anxious thought. Amen? Because why? He's a father trying to care for his children. All right, I'm going to finish up with one more scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's a passage of scripture 
if you've been in the kingdom of God very long, you know. Casting all your care upon him. Upon who? The Father. Casting all your care upon the Father, for he cares for you. Now, that word care there is a, the, the word care, when was talking about what we have, and then the cares that he has are two different words in the Greek text. The first word care, when we cast all our care upon him, means uh, to draw in different directions. It's meaning distractions. The things that will divert you from God. And he said, if things are going to come into your life that are going to try and divert you from seeking first the kingdom. And he said, when something comes into your heart and life to divert you from seeking the kingdom, cast it off. Don't let yourself get distracted from seeking first the kingdom. Don't let anything, don't let any of this, do not let Pepsi-Cola distract you from serving God and seeking the kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, don't let anything distract you from seeking first the kingdom. If something is coming and distracting you from being in pursuit of God, get rid of it. Why? Because he cares for you. And that word cares means it's an object of care that was um, especially with forethought and interest and no anxiety. So God has got forethought and interest in taking care of all your business. He has a way to do it. He's thought it out. He wants to do it. So when care tries to come on you, when distraction tries to get in between you and your relationship with the Father, cast that off because he cares for me. He cares for me. See, and it's not based on our goodness. All these spokes in this wheel can become cares. But God the Father wants his will in all of those areas of our life. But we're not going to get the will of the Father in our life if we are anxious, if we are fearful, and loaded down with pressure about those things. He said, cast it off on me. When you cast it off on me, you literally set it back in to the hub of God. You set it back in to the place of the Father. You want to come up here, Jerry? Uh, now, let's ask uh, one question. I have uh, one question in closing. Is God stressed? Is he? Okay, so God's not stressed. Do we all agree God's not stressed? That's right. Is it because he's not stressed because no one has ever said anything bad about him? People talk bad about God all the time, don't they? Is it because no one's ever lied about him? People lie about him, don't they? Is it because his desires are always done? No, if one person went to hell, we know that wasn't the desire of God. See, God maintains no fear and no stress because he has thrown it off of him. And he said, pray that my will in heaven is done in your life just as I want it to be. Amen? Amen. No fear, no anxiety. He's caring for us. Amen? Come on. Good job, Trudy. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise, everybody. Come on now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good word, huh? All right. Let's take, before we let you go today, we're going to look at a couple things here. And uh, take this on home here, praise God. Kind of really come at it from a different angle. What we've been doing over the last um, 
several weeks, actually since the beginning of the year, is really the idea what the Spirit of God uh, told me is that this year we're going to spend some time on our, especially our Sunday services, talking about the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And our relationship with the Father, our relationship with the Son, our relationship uh, with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so primarily we've been focused uh, just on the Father. Amen. Because I believe that's where it starts. Amen. That no matter what's going on, amen, we gotta, we got to develop that intimacy, that communion, that fellowship, amen, with the Father. Everybody, every believer, amen, needs that connection. Amen. Now, what we've been doing, talking about, and that's why this wheel's up here, that God is a, is, is a wheel within a wheel. That's what the Scripture says. Amen. He's the hub. He's the core. Amen. We're, this is our life rolling down the hill, and this is what all these areas that meet, you know, make up our life. Now, of course, this isn't everything. We know that. There's only 12 spokes, so we only pulled up 12 things. But uh, we could uh, come up with dozens and dozens of things that, that make up our life, that determine our life going down the road. Now, the idea is, and what we've been trying to show you is God wants to help you with every one of these areas. God is not trying to leave you hanging. Are you hearing me? God wants every area working right and functioning right. Well, the only way that's going to happen is you're going to have to connect with Him. You're going to have to stay connected with Him, praise God. And this is how it works. Amen. So with that said, uh, Psalms 34, I believe, is, I think I gave you that reference. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many know God's good? Look at your neighbor and say, God's good. God is good. God is always good. I said, God is always good. But it says, blessed is the man, in other words, empowered is the man who trusts in him or puts their confidence or assurance in him. That's how it works, see? Amen. God's good. God's always good. But until you connect, amen, and, and have some confidence in the fact that he is good, amen, you're going to miss out on that goodness. It's the same thing with love, amen. So let's go to 1 John. As she brought out, God is love, right? Right? Are you with me or did I lose you? Come on now. I don't want to be boring you here, but let's stay connected. Just a few more minutes here. Let's get through this. All right, here we go. 1 John chapter 4, please. I'm going to read through, uh, just for sake of time, verse 14 on here uh, through verse 19. says, And we have seen and testify that the Father, everybody say the Father, the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. How many are grateful for what Jesus has done? Now, who sent the Son? The Father. Why? Because He loves you. Because you need help. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, even you. You need help. We all need help. Amen. See, the problem is we try to do everything in our own strength. He said, no, you need some help. So I'm going to send some. I'm going to send my son. Amen. Whoever confesses, verse 15, that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, that's that born again experience that Trudy talked about. Amen. Now, all that takes is just you stopping and just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Amen. And mean it, praise God. Hallelujah. It's not real complicated. Amen. Now, some people walk forward and, and do an altar call or something, and that's great. That's wonderful. I was driving down the road. I just heard some truths uh, previous, you know, in a week prior, or a couple weeks prior, heard some things, and I've been chewing on it for, uh, you know, a couple weeks here. And finally, one day, I just called out to God, if this is real, if this is true, I want you. Well, obviously, it's stuck. I didn't say walk an altar, nothing wrong with the altar, but I was just driving down the road. And called on God, and guess what? Praise God. I received the Lord. And then what happened? Well, this verse says this. It says, then God then abides within you, and he, and that's you, amen, in God. So in other words, when I did that, he came and resided with on the inside of me, amen. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Come on. 
And what else? I now reside in him because I'm now a part of that family. Amen. The higher, Come on, that kingdom of God. I'm a part of that now. He's in me and I'm in him. Praise God. Somebody say praise the Lord. That's not real complicated, but we're trying to, trying to bring out here, amen, what he's building up to here. And verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Everybody say, God is love. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. I'm going to come back to that here in a minute. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because why? Well, he first loved you. Now, God is love. Now, I know and you know that sometimes that can be a cliche. A lot of people say God is love and know that, and most every Christian is going to agree with it. Come on. But sometimes it can be just a catchphrase or some worn expression uh, that, uh, that becomes really a commonplace, trivial, maybe sometimes even seeming insignificant. Come on now. And maybe even sometimes losing validity. Now, a lot of words right there, but just said this. That is this. A lot of times we know that. We can say, yes, God is love and be in agreement mentally, but still never grasp what that means. He's trying to bring out what that means, okay? It's not just so you go around saying, I know God is love. Amen. He wants you to know that, but we're going to kind of bring that a little bit more in depth here, all right? So it says here, amen, that uh, God is love, okay? That word love, Trudy brought out a definition, did a great job with that definition, agape. If you just look it up in a concordance or in a lexicon, it means a deep affection, benevolent, charity, self-sacrificial, but here we go, it means unconditional love. Everybody say unconditional. Now, this is why we have it. Sometimes we can mentally agree with the fact God is love, but we miss it. Because we're so used to living life around conditional love. Are you still with me? Am I boring you? Well, it wouldn't matter. I'm going to keep going anyway. All right. So anyway, but there, there are other words for love, okay? Even in the scriptures, it talks about different types of love. It talks about euros, which is the word erotic, which means uh, sensual or carnal demand. But again, it's a self-seeking love. It's conditional. Stergo, okay, which means natural devotion appreciation, admiration, but usually, again, it's a very limited love. Now, you don't have to write all this down. I'm just shooting through this to show you that every other kind of love that's out there is conditional. Even the scriptures agree with it. Phileo, which is another one. It's just probably a more common one, but it means affection or a warm friendship, usually based on mutual satisfaction, and again, it is conditional. Every other love is conditional. What we grew up around was conditional love. So what happens now, all of a sudden, God, we find out God is love. He's saying it's unconditional. We can't, we, we have a hard time grasping that because we still think we need to earn something. Somehow we're still trying to get accepted when you're already accepted. You're trying to somehow get God to love you more when you couldn't get him to love you any more than he loves you. Now you have to hang on to that because see, God is one that help you take care of your life. But if you're thinking that he's conditional, then what happens is most of the time you're not even going to spend any time with him and for due to different reasons. But the bottom line is a lot of it comes down to this, all right? You're just assuming I'm not, I don't measure up. 
I don't, I'm, not doing, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough right. I screwed up this. I screwed up that. You're going along saying, well, you know what? I messed up my health because I like bacon double cheeseburgers too much. Okay, maybe that's just mine. Anyway, the bottom line is, amen, you could say, well, I messed up my health because of my eating habits. Well, duh. I, that, that word's probably in the, the scriptures somewhere. But anyway, okay, your finance. You might have said, all right, I messed up my finance because I made too many poor decisions. Join the club. Now, we're not excusing sin, and we're not making excuse for sin, and we're not somehow justifying sin. But what we're telling you is this. You have to understand that God's love is unconditional. The best place you need to be is in the lap of the Father when you're struggling with any of these areas. Even though you know, and he knows, and probably a lot of us know that you did some things you probably shouldn't have done. But God is unconditional. And the best place that you need, that you could be, is in the lap of the Father receiving his love to help meet the need to show you what needs to be done. That's what we've been on for weeks now, talking about. The whole time, the Father is wanting to help you with that. When I got born again, I struggled in some areas. Mostly alcohol was my, my issue. Got, you know, I had one of those vehicles that usually if you look in the rearview mirror, there's these lights. <laughs> had a few of those moments. Even after I got saved. Now, I'm not excusing it. Or justifying, I'm just telling you, okay, I didn't, I didn't come into a place of understanding the love of God and who he is, amen, because I really didn't have an intimate fellowship or relationship with him. I just knew I need God. Well, you know, anybody could have looked at my life at that time and said, dude, you need God. I mean, even a heathen would look at me and go, dude, you need God. All right? So it's more than just saying I need God. It's about connecting with that God to help me overcome the things I need to overcome, to help me conquer in the areas I need to conquer, to help me over, you know, to, to begin to take charge or take hold of the areas that I need to take charge in. Well, the only way it's going to happen is I need to be connected with him. So let's back up here a little bit. Are you still with me? Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. That's the key right there, knowing and believing. You have to come to a place of knowing God, knowing love, amen, and believing in that love that he has for you. To the degree that you do that is the degree that you're going to abide in that love. You know, God says, love others. Yeah, right. Like that's going to happen. Somebody says, Pastor, listen, without knowing love, it's going to be hard to abide in that love. Because all it takes, see, is somebody to say something they probably shouldn't say, and your, I mean, your, your fuse has been lit. Now, maybe you never had those problems. Maybe you were just a, you know, sweet little thing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Anyway, but we have... We have known and believed the love that God has. We have to know love. Do you know that eternal life, Jesus defined eternal life in John 17, verse 3. He said this. He said, this is eternal life. Now, most of the time when we say eternal life, everybody thinks of heaven. That their mind just goes to heaven. They think, you know, duration of life 
longevity, you know, in that sense, they think, they think, you know, it's out there. Now, it involves that, but Jesus defined eternal life. He said, this is eternal life, knowing the one true God and the one in whom he sent. That is the definition of eternal life. In other words, the minute you made Jesus Lord of your life, you tapped a thing called eternal life, which refers to a quality of life not just duration, not just quantity, but quality. Right here. How do we turn this? Because without intimacy and knowing him, your life is no different than the guy out down the street who doesn't even know God, has never accepted him as Christ. And we got a lot of Christians trying to live life no different than they did before they knew Christ. Are you still with me? Listen, there's no condemnation on that. I'm just saying it's just where we were. And then one day you meet, you actually get to know him, and all of a sudden life begins to shift and change. All of a sudden your whole perspective begins to adjust and change. All of a sudden revelation or things revealed, or in other words, that means literally the cover's pulled back and things are exposed. You begin to see him. You begin to see the life you're called to. You begin to see how things can be. Jesus came to give you the abundant life, the life of God, whereas the devil comes along to steal it, it says. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, we go on, we don't ever get to meet, really know him. Now, I'm not taking away your salvation because you might have accepted him and said, yeah, I received Jesus, but I'm talking about we got to go a little bit further into this thing and really get to know him in order to see life begin to shift. Otherwise, we go to heaven, come on, with no different life than we had before. And you can do that. You can go to heaven and, and, and meet, your, uh, meet your master, praise God, and never have anything change in your life because of what happened in the heart. But God says, I, don't want, I didn't just come just to reside in your heart. I came to, get, I, I, I came to absorb your life, to begin to help every area and every facet of your life. So you can experience an abundant life. Still with me? All right, so verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Now look at it. He says it again. And he who abides in love, this time he says abides in love. Or the verse before it said abides in him. Here it says abides in love. He's trying to show you God is love. He is love. He's unconditional. He who abides in love. Uh, love abides in God and God in him. He basically says the same thing except he adds to it. It's about coming to know Mr. Love. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this. In other words, praise God, perfected means complete or made mature. In fact, the Amplified says this. <clears throat> it says, in this union and communion with him, love is brought to completion. And later on, go say, and brought into perfection in this union and communion with him. Now, this word perfected here in this verse means complete, accomplished, finished, fulfilled, or as I said earlier, brought to maturity. Now, how many know this love needs to be brought to maturity? What, what's he talking about? Well, what he just got been talking about? Knowing him and believing in that love, right? Knowing love and believing. In other words, we got to bring that to a place of maturity because the more that comes alive in you, the better everything else gets. 
Now, I'm going to say this, toss this out here again. I've been probably saying it every week. I'm going to say this. I don't care where you're at in your walk in God. Everybody can get this. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved, how long you, you may say, man, I just, uh, I'm as, I'm as, uh, you know, as dumb as a stump. I mean, I, I ain't got, I, 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 I don't know any of this God stuff. I'll tell you what, you're a prime candidate for just to get to know him. Because you don't have to have all the understanding of all the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying to ignore that. I'm just saying, amen, you might just got out of the, you came out of the chutes and just, I don't know nothing. All I know, I love God and I want Jesus and, and come on, let's go. Well, praise the Lord. That's where it starts. It starts with an intimacy with God. How do you do that? Become a friend. Some of you are my friend. I don't know all of you in the house, all right? Getting to know some of you a little better, praise God. But how do you become a friend? You communicate. You carry on conversation. It's no different than becoming a friend of God. And pretty soon, little by little, he begins to reveal himself. He begins to help you with all these things. Are you still with me? All right. So uh, verse 17, again, love has been perfected or complete or made mature among us in this that we may, why is that? Well, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, let me define this a little bit and help you with this, all right? This word here, uh, if you bring out the interlinear, which an interlinear translation is just how, the, how it's written in the Greek. That's all it is. So it's going to sound a little bit different, but this is how, what it means. It's, here's the interlinear on this verse. By this, in other words, because of what you read there in verse 16, by this or because of this has been perfected love with us. In other words, the more we get a hold of this, knowing Him and believing in, in that love, Amen. The more it gets perfected in us. All right. And it says that confidence that we have in the day of judgment, that as, pardon me, that as that is, in other words, that confidence in love, also we are in this world. Now, a lot said there, and that's this. It comes down to this, having confidence and boldness. The more you understand that, the more you, you know you can approach God anytime. So he said, well, I just blew it. Praise God. Run to God. Well, you know, I just blew it. Run to God. Now, you don't understand what I... Run to God now. Well, he may not run to God, and you'll find out he's open arms saying, come, hop on the lap, let me help you with this. No, no, I'll get this. I got myself into this mess, and I'll get myself out. That is the most stupid statement. You got yourself into that mess. What makes you think you're going to get yourself out? See, he says, listen, I know you got yourself into this. Everybody knows you got yourself into this. But let me help you get out of that. See, it's unconditional. Now we say the day uh, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. This is not talking about judgment day. One day, everybody stands before the master and gives account of their life. At that time, it doesn't matter whether you have confidence or not. It's irrelevant. Because it is what it is. Right? He's not talking about that moment. The day of judgment. He's talking about, amen. The word day means a time frame or a, a moment of time. Amen. A space of time. A day of judgment. That word is, is crisis, which we get our word crisis. Come on. Which means a day of decision. In other words, a time of making a judgment call or a decision about something. He says, in that moment, you need to have confidence that I can help you through it. 
But until you get to know love and believe in that love, you won't, you won't go to God because you have no confidence to stand before him. Even though he says, I don't care what you did, come to me now. But you're going, oh, no, no, God's probably really mad at me. And who he's down. I'm sure he's upset with the way I did it again. I did it again. I stepped out. And when I know I wasn't supposed to, and I did it again. Did what I shouldn't have done. Or I didn't do what I should have done. People say, well, you're just giving everybody a license to sin. No, you've done a good enough job without one. License, that is. It's not about that. It's about the quickest way to get through it is to hook up with the one that can help you through it. The quickest way to overcome it is to hook up with the one that helps you overcome it. But when you avoid it because of a lack of confidence or assurance because of whatever reason, come on, this is why we have to understand love. We have to get to know love. And the problem, like I said earlier, is because all the natural loves that we, is all conditional. I love you. Well, I'm mad at you but I love you. I don't care. Talk to the hand because the head ain't listening. What is that? Somebody says, well, you do love him. Well, maybe. But see, come on, this this is what we, see, we grow up thinking, okay, you do this, everybody loves you. You do this, they go, oh my God. (laughs) Right? Because everything's conditional. God says, I'm not that way. And it's hard for us to somehow fathom that. But he says, listen, in your day of decision, in the day when the pressure's on, when all of a sudden your health issues come up and you go, what am I going to do? But you might, see, you're going to say, you might go, you know what, I, 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 I got myself into this because of the way I, I eat and I don't exercise, I don't do nothing, so I, God ain't going to help me with that. No, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Have confidence in that day of decision right now, this is the time you need to lean on God. Let him walk you through this. Let him show you what to do. You know, there's a thousand diets out there. Somebody said, oh, you got to bring that up, don't you? But you still got to find the one that works for you. If it's a diet or if it's a disciplined eating, whatever it is, you got to find what works for you. How do you find that out? See, God wants to walk you through that. God will walk you right through that stuff. You say, well, I don't understand this marriage thing. I just can't get it down. Well, you're a prime candidate for jumping up in the lap of the Father. Let him help you through it. So he'll show you how to do it, how to be the best parent that you could be or the best spouse you could be. Come on, how to be the best uh, son or or daughter. Come on. I mean, God can walk you through all that. Well, I just don't get this business stuff. Well, you know, the one that is calling you to his lap understands business better than you do. He really does. And he'll walk you through that stuff. But see, you got to have confidence that you can do that. But if some reason that you're still beating yourself up because you haven't done other things right. Listen, that's why it says, you know, you're being born again, a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Woo! Hallelujah. I was waiting to hear that. (sighs) Snaps a plumb line, says, step on over, son. Praise the Lord. New day. Well, he's just trying to say every day. His mercies are new every day. Every day? Yeah. And the idea is to get to the place where you have 
confidence. Everybody say confidence. Because, now the, our translation says, as he is, in verse 17, the word he is not even in the text. It's not in the Greek. And I know why they use it, because of some other ref verses prior to this. So they shoved that in there. But it's really taught, it says, as that is or as this is. As what? Well, to the degree that love has been developed. In other words, to the degree that you know love and believe in that love, and to the degree, praise God, that you can walk in that confidence. Amen. As that is, so are we in this world. In other words, that's now we can live according to that. Life gets better when you get a hold of this. Did I lose you? It's about how well, this come, how well this comes alive in your heart. How well you can connect with God is going to determine how, how great your life becomes. So I'm encouraging you, run to the Father. Now here's the last bit here, verse 18, there is no fear in love. Fear, okay, what's that mean? Well, fear is the word phobos, insecurity, worry, Trudy talked about that, anxiety, dread, panic, they feel threatened or apprehensive, come on. It says here, all right, that there is no fear in love. There's when you get to know love and you get to believe in that love, you'll find out there's no fear in it. Now, let me give you some understanding here. If we lack confidence in love, we will lack confidence in the day of decision. In other words, in your moment of decision, you're going to lack confidence. You're going to be insecure or whatever it is. And if we lack confidence in the day of decision, we're going to, we're going to decide, in other words, make our choices and decisions as one who has no confidence. Which means then you're basing your decisions based on how it looks, how it sounds, what you thought, whether there's enough money in the, in the wallet or not, whether they love you enough, whether they say the right things to you or not. You'll make a decision based on that. And if we lack confidence in our decision making, our decisions are, will always be, here we go, fear-based decisions. That's what he's talking about. There is no fear in love. If you get to know love, you get to believe in that love, you ain't going to find fear there. You ain't going to find insecurity there. You're not going to find apprehension, stress, and anxiety, and worry. You're not going to find it there. And the more you hang out with Mr. Love and believe in that love that he has for you, the more you'll find that, that fear goes out the window. Come on, because fear keeps us focused on self, on being self-conscious, on being self-protected, even on self-pity or selfishness. All of that's going to be wrapped up and all of it's going to be fear-based thoughts. Come on. But knowing and believing in love is fear's defeat. Amen. Because love never fails. Are you with me? Now, it says here that in fear, there's torment. What does that mean? Well, it means punishment or imprisonment to be locked up or locked down. Literally, it refers to being limited. It means to be vexed or harassed. One translation says fear is crippling. And that's why we don't want fear. We want to eliminate fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's no fear in God. Come on, now the word talks about having the fear of God, which is a different kind of word. It's referring to reverence and awe and respect. We're talking about being panicked, insecure, come on, worrying, 
I grew up with family members that said, man, if I don't worry, who will? Well, maybe we shouldn't have anybody worry about it. Let's just lean on God here. Are you still with me? Now, the bottom line is this. In God, there's no fear. In that love, I should say, there is no fear. And the more you get to know love and believe in that love, the less fear you walk in, and the less it will affect your decision-making. Amen. The idea is to get to the place that no matter what's going on in our life, whether your thing's on this wheel or not, your thing might be something else, but regardless, you go to God, and as Trudy, Trudy brought out earlier, praise God, no matter what it is, God's got you back. He says, listen, seek me first. You do that, and I'll take care of all the rest of this. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to be panicked about it anymore. Are you still with me? We're not denying the fact that all this exists. We're not denying the fact that you have a life to live. What we're denying is it's right to dictate and control you. If you will lean on God, trust in God, get to know love and believe in that love that he has for you, I guarantee you all of this will begin to work right. Did you get something today? Hallelujah. God's good. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO victory or go to Jerry Roberts ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.